Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I am so excited about having the guest that I have on today. Before we get started, I want you to take a look at this. I live in Texas, and I legally treat my daughter with high THC cannabis. We're telling our story in an effort to change the Texas law. That's a quote from my guest today. They are parents to twin daughters, one of which suffers from autism and cerebral palsy and struggles with a severe self-injurious behavior related to her condition. Her name is Kara, and her parents are here with me to share their story in hopes of helping other families in similar situations. Mark and Christy Zartler, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Your family was recently featured in a documentary called Weediatrics, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you told Kara's story for the first time, right? Well, that's first of many times on film, I guess. Or, uh, But yes, we've uh, had a lot of storytelling since uh, 2017. We've been advocates since 2014, and we had difficulty moving Texas law, so we tried to get a little more bold with our uh, with with our awareness. Uh, and that's when I released the video. Well, let's back up for a second. Let's go back because you 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 had you had twin daughters, and then you had Kara. Is that right? No, Kara is one of our twin daughters. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Is one of the twin girls. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when did you start to notice that there was something just a little bit off in Kara's development? Well, they were 26 week premature and she was one pound, 12 ounces. And the first, you know, 12 hours of life, she had a brain bleed. And um, then her, by 15 months of age, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And then by three and a half, she lost all verbiage and language skills and eye contact and and so we we knew we knew early on we were meet, we were going to be met with challenges i'm actually um a survivor of a stroke at 21 months of pregnancy uh 21 weeks of pregnancy i suffered a brain bleed and uh so i had a, a cerebral hemorrhage and it's pretty rare for pregnant women to have that and so it just started out, our whole parenthood started out with just a big, you know. Trauma. <laughs> trauma, exactly. Well, I got to tell you, you and I share that in common. I don't know if you know this up, but I suffered a, a pretty massive hemorrhagic stroke uh, about three years ago. Um, fortunately and blessed like yourself, uh, I think I recovered, you recovered, and a lot of people don't understand that that kind of a bleed is something that normally – you know, kills probably 50% of the people who have those. And so to be able to survive that and then give birth, um, absolutely phenomenal. So what did they finally diagnose Kara with? The first diagnosis was cerebral palsy, and that was 15 months. And then at three and a half was the autism. And about age four is when she began to, to start punching herself um, uh, very aggressively, and it would last 10 to 12 hours during her awake time period during the day. Uh, when she went to sleep at night, she didn't hit during her sleep. So we we were met with that self-injurious behavior really young, and we had nothing to do. With, there was nothing here in Texas that could help her. And, and, and what did they first prescribe? And first, again, that self-injurious behavior, was that a manifestation of a seizure or was that just a behavior like a tick? And I say it when I say like a tick, but is was that what that was? 
it was more like a it, a tick is a pretty good description. It's a it's a horrible tick because she, she hit she doesn't just kind of lightly tap herself. She really goes if you if you get in between her and her face when she's doing it, you will be banged up like a punch. And so she was she was four started it at four and by six we were having these episodes go on literally twelve hours where we're holding her down all day long. And so at that point she was taking sort of antidepressant, you know, the, 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 the milder forms of antidepressants up to that point. And it was at that time that we switched her to the, uh, the schizophrenia drugs at six. Antipsychotics. In fact, the FDA approved Risperidone for six and up for patients like her right at the same time that I said, okay, let's go ahead and, and try it. We really um, tried not to put her on pharmaceuticals. Um, and, we just, but there was no choice, you know, 12 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. And, and I've got to ask the question. I mean, or, or, and maybe, and please do not think I'm asking because I think that maybe you didn't do enough or, or didn't re, but have you taken her to multiple specialists? Have multiple people looked at her to see whether or not the first off the diagnosis is correct? I mean, could she be having, could the ticks or could that self-injurious behavior be because of a different diagnosis and they just haven't gotten that right yet. We, we have, did. We have tried. We really run where we felt like uh, we had done everything we could through modern medicine. And, and there is some part of me that says it's a Tourette's type of thing, uh, but it's still, you know, it's part of the autism condition that it does show up most people, most kids do not have the severity that she has. Gotcha. We did MRIs. You know, we of course went to, uh, you know, neurologists, and um, we did we did MRIs. We even went because of her autism, and she, it was like she didn't hear us. We went to the ear, nose, and throat specialist, and they put tubes in just to make sure that you know maybe she could hear. And they did another hearing test under general anesthesia. I mean, we, we tried to find out anything and everything. And I'm, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner in pediatrics and I, you know, I, we literally tried everything we possibly could as far as diets. Uh, but Mark's right, modern medicine and even herbs and, or just the autism community, they pretty much reach out to any type of specialist and they do, they go above and beyond and do every single thing that they can possibly do. Uh, to help their child, you know, connect with our community and connect with people and connect with, you know, humans. Right. So here you're at, at age four, you're getting ready to put her on these heavy duty psychotics. And was it to no avail? Did it, did it lessen some of the severity of her outbursts or did they, the, were the durations shorter? Was it more space between I mean, take us on that journey a little bit. So I want you to make people at home understand what you as a family are going through. So we were dealing with, you know, 12 hours a day. So it's kind of a continuous thing. And you both have to work. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. So it was, it's a, it's a challenging time. And so we, uh, but we, we wanted to get her better. That's the, that was the main thing. So we, we, took the plunge into these harder drugs. And yes, they actually did make a difference to where she would have, she could have good hours, right? She would go through a day with a bad hour and a good hour and a bad hour and a good hour. And that was an improvement. But then over time, like this is kind of through elementary school, she did good and pretty good in first grade. And then second grade was a little worse. And then third grade was a little worse. And then by fifth grade, it was, you know, you're kind of counting it, you're counting your good times and bad times in increments of 15 minutes again. Uh, was she communicative at that time? Or were you, did you have a sense of being able to communicate with her? Does she understand you? Um, give me a sense of what that was like. It's, Kara is nonverbal. So she can't, nonverbal. she can't communicate with us. When she's having these fits, I would describe her personality as disappear as she's gone. Like she's not really there in the sense of like her senses, it's like a sensory overload or something where she, so she can't, she's out of control at those times and it just kind of has to wear itself out. 
Okay, I mean, you know, I, I have a, we have a family member who um, is is on the spectrum, and you know, I remember early on, you know, there were moments and times when, you know, I felt as if there were connections that were being made. You know, a periodically there was a connection, and then there's other times when people in that spectrum seem to literally be remote. They're they're like you said, they're not there, or they appear to not be there. And I guess some of the science has proven that you know it's really not the fact that they're not there. They just are, like you said, sensory overloaded. So you know what a lot of us don't recognize when it comes to the spectrum and when it comes to autism, and what it may take another twenty years of science to be able to figure out is the fact that, you know, it, when we're sitting here, you and I are sitting here, our brains filter out the dust that flows in front of our eyes. Our brains filter out the noise that's 100 yards away. Our brains filter out, you know, the fact that, you know, coming through this curtain in front of me, there are lights that are there that I literally don't pay attention to. But for people who are on the spectrum and some children are autistic, they see every beam of light. They see, they hear every noise. They hear and they see every speck of dust that goes in front of their eyes, you know, 24 hours a day. We don't see them, but they're there. Our brains literally understand how to filter out the dust that's in the air right here. And I think I'm in a, you know, a clean apartment, but it's probably, you know, a million pieces of dust going before my eyes. But they don't get a chance to filter those out. And so they react to that, and that overloads them from a sensory perception, the, the touch of just being able to barely touch the, the wall when I walk by it. Well, for me, I touch it and don't notice it. For them, it literally, my, who knows? It might feel like, you know, you just shocked them with a million volts or something. And, but again, the family member that we have, every once in a blue moon, she would almost look into your eyes and you realize she was looking back. She was looking and trying to, to at least tap into something I have. Does Kara ever do that or? Yes. yes. Yeah, she is actually, I believe her language comprehension skills are, I don't know what age range, but they're, she, she's nonverbal, but she understands what we say. And there are times of ex very, where she's very lucid. She's looking into your eyes. She has an understanding of what's going on. We tend to get those more when she's not taking antipsychotics. Got it. Products do tend to blank her out more. Uh, the autism obviously has that that effect on her too, but uh, the the medications do as well. That took us uh, that took us about fifteen years to learn that. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and see, that's that's. I'm sorry, I wanted to. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's something that I think a lot of people need to understand. This isn't something that you know. You give birth to a child, and fifteen months later, there's a diagnosis, and maybe fifteen months later. They put on a medication. We're talking about you as a family have been going through this for now 18 years, right? Yeah. 21. She's 21 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's. I was going to tell you that the first antipsychotic was at age six when it was approved um, for autism. And after the first dose, we could tell that she was like a zombie. She would just sit in a chair and not really move or she would sit there for hours just looking straight ahead of her, you know, kind of, you know, in a daze. And that was like the, about the first week. And, and, and to me, I thought, well, I guess this is better than having her punch her head all day right. long. So yeah, we were, we were desperate. And, 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 and how did her twin take this? Well, it's one of those things when you're, it's one of, when it's your first memories of things, it's, it's, it's there's, it's, I think it, well, I don't know, but I think it's a little easier on her having been born into it and having it be her, her sister, where it's all she's ever known. Yeah. That's just a guess, though. We're, we're and, and, and as twins, I mean, you know, I, I just listen to some of the myths and listen to some of the, the stories that twins talk about that bond and, and, that that a nonverbal that thing that's there that only twins can share people who have the same genetic makeup, but does her twin and which twin sister's name? Keely. Keely. So does Keely have a a special bond to Kara, or did this malady seem to break that? 
I think it broke it. I think in the early stages of their infancy, when they were both learning to speak and play together, they were close and they had beautiful moments of, you know, toddlerhood. And uh, then when the then the cerebral palsy with her and a, uh, she began to learn to walk with a walker and it was real cute and they both would play with it and we would decorate it with streamers and and then when the autism hit and the nonverbal you know the speech left and the eye contact left I, I think it began to to leave at that time. Gotcha. And um, does does she have much to do with Kara now? They're both twenty one. Are they they together from time to time? Does she help out? They they are. Everyone's still in the home. Uh, Keely is in college at the local community college, and uh, I think that one of the things I would say about their relationship is that Keely, when Kara is having her moments, Keely is probably the calmest person in the house, which is you know. It, so it, it's it's been less of a and we never wanted it to be a drag on on her, but it it seems that we did succeed or she, that's part of their connection kind of allows her to have a, a a broader acceptance of things. Gotcha. So now, okay, so you're again. I look back and try to just fathom how um, I or any family would cope. Um, over 21 years and but it was where somewhere around the 15 16 by what year did you start to think that maybe we can find some relief using something else cannabis well it was younger than that so she was 11 we're not, 10. We're, we're not 10. yeah we're not exactly sure when we started but it was 10 or 11 and it was a neighbor that uh that recommended it you know they this was not a big known thing. CBD wasn't even a thing at that point in time. Correct. And so we were, we were uh, in desperate straits. We obviously, we didn't just start off with a bang, but we, we used it. He, uh, he knew our, our friend knew how to make brownies. He knew how to make the medicine. And so he gave us some, we, a couple months later, we tried one on a trip. One of the, one of the things we like to do is go to the beach and drive to Galveston. Kara, she really, she'll have a couple hours. It's a five hour drive and we could be two or three hours of yelling and hitting herself to car. So it's just too much for her. So we tried a, uh, we tried a small piece of uh, marijuana brownie and she had a great time. Yeah. It was just, it was a- she didn't hit all the way there. And uh, well, so that, I mean, that's what you noticed to begin with. What did you notice when you, the first time you said, well, first off, let's talk about the two of you having a conversation because I know the two of you had a conversation. Yeah. So who who talked to the neighbor first? It was me. Yeah. You talked to the neighbor. And the neighbor came over and said, hey, look, I know what you guys are going through. And I've read some stuff and heard some things that, you know, cannabis does help kids on the spectrum. Right. That was probably a conversation. And you said, what are you talking about, man? Right. He mainly said that it's calming and uh, I think it would help her relax. And I think she probably wouldn't want to do any more self-injury. The other thing that I remember is it was a time between two surgeries. She had a surgery, a big surgery at age nine and a big surgery at age 11 to allow her legs to be straightened because she, so we could keep her walking. And uh, she stayed weighing about 45 pounds for three years. She didn't even gain any weight for a long time. And she was on the antipsychotic and she was actually on a very high dose to keep her calm. And so we just couldn't get her to gain weight. So that was another reason why he said, this will help her behavior. This will help her mood. This will help her eat. This would help her. And so he, he didn't even mention autism. Yeah, we went, we went into it thinking we were the only people in the world doing this. Right. And, and did, did, did the conversation take place between the both of you at the same time, or did he spoke to you first? How did it happen? It, we, we talked, we, we talked amongst, we talked amongst ourselves, but the, you know, there was no, there was no uh, support system for autism. There was no, it just, it, in terms of me- medical marijuana, uh, we literally thought that we were the, only people in the world crazy enough to do this. Uh, but you have to understand the level of desperation that we're faced with uh, having kind of 
failed out of the pharmaceutical, you know, race to try to find something that was truly going to make a difference for her. And it was a more, I would say more of desperation led to the, the trials than anything else. Gotcha. So, I mean, so Mark, I mean, when, when the person, the neighbor came over and said this to you, I'm sure the two of you had a conversation. What was the like between you and Christy? What did the two of you say? I mean, you say, look, the neighbor just came over and said, we ought to try cannabis. And Christy, you said, what? <laughs> I, as a pediatric nurse practitioner and knowing the medication she's been on, I was a I was very worried about um, the interaction between pharmaceuticals and, and cannabis. And I, I had experience with cannabis at an earlier age, you know, in my college and high school time frame. And here we were sitting in our mid thirties, being far away from that time and thinking the drug war, you know, is it's bad. It's not, we don't need it in our society. There's no use for it. It's harmful to our children. And so I, I was like, I just don't know. And we kept that brownie with us in our freezer for about three months. And when we packed our car, I went inside, I grabbed it, I put it in her diaper bag and I decided if I get desperate, I'll do it. And it didn't take but an hour and I was already desperate because she, I sit in the back seat between my two twins so that they don't beat, so that she doesn't harm Keely. And so I take the blare, you know, the, the, I take the beatings when she starts her hitting and, you know, we held her, we hold her arms down. We kind of keep her from punching. We try and make sure. And, and whenever we try and hold her, she'll lash out to us. Like if my hands there, she bites. And, and so, and pull, if she grabs my hair, she pulls, she really tries to inflict pain if she can't inflict pain on herself. Wow. And I'm not sure if she even feels the pain. That's, you know, for that's also one issue we're not sure of. So we're well, not sure if she's even really trying to inflict pain. She's just lashing out. It's just a behavior, right? Well, what it is, is it's uh, she we are trying to prevent her from hitting herself and she doesn't want us to do that. So she will basically aggressively attack a person that's trying to keep her from uh, hitting herself. So that's the that's the nature of her fits. So, you know, we we're scarred up uh, from from that. But in terms of the the initial and even the sort of ongoing uh, use was that it's it can't be worse than the heavy drugs that she's taking that don't really work that good. And that, right. you know, that and so that was always in my mind, even though I felt like we were I really there was three year period of time where the, I was, we thought we were alone in doing all of this. Uh, so it was quiet. It was one of those things where it's, it's ironic now that I'm talking about it, but I almost got into a, a physical fight over somebody saying something. That's you know? crazy. It was but that, but that first time in the car, when you went ahead, did you break off a little piece of it? You took a quarter of it. You took half of it. What did you half, half of it. It was probably one inch square. I took half of it. I gave it to her and it took about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And she was just relieved. And then she would look out the window and watch the trees go by. And it was like a different person. She looked me in the eye. She'd smile. She wasn't doing her, her sensory hand flapping and her, Ooh, 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 you know, and it was just, a, I thought I just started crying. And I'd look in the rearview mirror at Mark and I was like, you just won't believe this. This is wonderful. And, you know, and it was it was a game changer, 100 percent. So you went down to the beach and turned around, came back and said, we got to get more of this. Right? Oh, we did. I took probably about three or four squares. And uh, then when we got back from the beach, we had our friend over and we learned how to make the butter ourselves in the crock pot and learn how to make small little. Um, I bought a pan with tiny little um, miniature muffins and, and we were on. We were able to make a 12 pack or, or, you know, 12 at a time and keep them in the freezer. And and then, of course, we had to it's a kind of a funny story, but 
you know, the, when the girls, they were about 10 or 11 and my mom was picking Keely up to go over and spend the night with Mimi and they got a couple of, they got like two little squares out of the freezer and they were driving home to, you know, 20 minutes away and Keely had tasted it and, and then she's like, mommy, Mimi, something's wrong with it. And my mom tasted it and she's like, oh, just throw it out. So they threw it out and when they got home. And anyway, that was like our very first time to where we are going to get into big trouble here. We, right. we came clean with his mom and dad and my mom and dad. And we just and we even dosed her and took and took her out to eat uh, to a Sunday buffet, which we never do. We've done it like two or three times because it's very stressful to be in public. And they his parents, I can remember them telling us, wow. This is really phenomenal. This is something that, you know, you just you just wouldn't believe. And so that began the process of telling our family. And um, and it began the process of our family, like his mom, telling her 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 uh, tennis friends. And and that just tells you how everybody is so against a, a plant, a natural plant that grows in the ground that's you know, is just that God presented with, you know, gave us. So, it, so I mean, that so she's 10. Now you now what from that first car ride, you realize that this will bring her some relief every day. So you started trying to dose her a little bit every day. No, it was still, it was a slow process of saying, because from my standpoint, I felt like it was working well, but still wrong. Right. I went, I had a long period of time where I didn't think I was doing right by her, but I didn't, it was still working better than anything else. So there was a lot of things. So we, it was still, it's kind of a slow process. About three years after that is when, when I, uh, we were having a, uh, it was one Sunday morning and she was having a really rough time. And the, one of the things about the oils and the oral thing is they take about an hour, an hour and a half to work. Uh, so I went out and bought a, uh, a desktop vaporizer, filled up one of the bags, you know, the balloons. Sure. Administered it through a, a, like a, a nebulizer mask. And then the, that was immediate relief for her. So that just stopped the fit in its tracks. We didn't have to wait any time. And, and so that was the, the next evolution. Uh, but, it was still until I, we started meeting uh, fellow advocates in 2015, other, uh, you know, the PTSD vets and all these uh, adult people who are highly, you know, functional. And that was <laughs> the time where I, where I actually finally realized that this wasn't, a, that there, there wasn't a lot of down, there was less downside to this than anything else. Right. I was going to say that at about age 14, um, I went ahead and, uh, I told her neurologist at that time, what is working, you know, and, and I, and what did I gave her a, a, a medication. I gave her a brownie, waited it. You know, I did want to say that we would give her the medicine. We would give her the brownie when we were, when we knew we were going to do something different, when we knew that there was something that we were going to have to take her to, or she had an appointment or there was going to be something different that uh, we need to make sure that we're not going to be beaten up or she's not going to beat up, beat up herself. So we would dose her f when we had, when we needed her to, to be uh, okay. And uh, so for that visit, I had given her something and I took her and he was amazed because he was able to listen to her heart. He was able to get a blood pressure and he had never been able to do anything physical with her. He had never been able to even touch her. And he sat there and just looked at her and asked me a lot of questions like, what, how did you do this? Where did you, you know, where did you get it? What, you know, what time did you get it? I mean, he had a lot of questions. And, and now this is, uh, this is maybe what, seven years ago, six years ago, we're talking about Texas. So you didn't have any kind of a medical program going on in Texas at the time, though there were medical programs going on around the country. So was the doctor at least willing to hear you 
And when I mean by that, listen to you enough to say, hmm, I got to look into this more. Did he say, no, I think what you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't do it. You know, let her go ahead and beat herself. I mean, I just don't understand. What was his reaction? He said, if you find something that works, continue to do this. I'm not going to write it in her chart what you're doing. And 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 he just said, Texas is just not ready for anything like this. And I don't even think it's ever. I think even the states that have it working, it's it's probably not going to last. It won't. You know, um, there's nothing that's going to come of this. And contrary to what he had to say, this is seven years ago, but now you're looking at, what, 35 states in the District of Columbia, all of them have passed some form of cannabis law. We have multiple states that have medical laws. And still, he understands that you were kind of, were you trying to lessen the amount of pharmaceuticals she was taking at the same time that you were giving her the cannabis, or were you still doing both at the same time? I was trying to stop her from punching her head and breaking her nose and breaking her eye sockets and, and further damaging her ears and her hearing and her t- breaking her teeth off. I didn't care about anything but her safety and, and the ability for her not to have pain. And But know. that did come later, right? That That's that's a thing we do. Right now, she's not on any antipsychotics. Uh, that's not always the way it works. You know, it, it's not just always a straight up kind of kind of climb but what we we start uh, probably in 2017 was the first break she's had from antipsychotics since six and during the first three days of that break she learned to potty train herself it's like oh my goodness uh and that's that's something we never expected ever and and so she's doing these things that the eye contact is so much more then you then you just feel guilty about putting a cloak on her for so long. So now our fight is to try to get her off of the things that are most damaging to her you know, personality and probably her body, too. Right. And now, again, I'm going to keep this in a chronological order. So um, she's like 17 years old. And when... This has not been an easy journey for you. I I mean, I know that, you know, there was a point in time when I guess it was a nurse or someone else who turned you into the authorities. Talk a little bit about that. That was when she turned 18, right? It was uh, the video that Mark made and we put it on Facebook and immediately our local TV channels um, contacted us and they wanted to come into our home and and take you know film and and get an interview and so we did um we did one of the interviews and and you, did that, and, you, and you did that because in your mind you wanted to help other families who might be going through something similar yes, yes. we wanted to show them what's working we have right. our advocacy has brought to us many other families that are in dire straits just like kara but their their patient their children are a hundred or two hundred and fifty pounds six five boys and so the 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 males are so aggressive and so strong and they're and you know their the their mothers' lives are in danger um, right. from that so um, we you know and so that's why we we wanted to show people how much it helps Kara. So like from about, okay, yeah, so let's go from 10 to 13, approximately, you're giving her more of an oral uh, edible. And then, you know, at about 13, you said, well, let's see if, you know, smoked or inhaled works better. And you started to recognize that that was almost immediate relief. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And talk about that a little bit. So now, so she went to, now do you combine them both? Does she do an edible and smokable now? Or what is she, what is she on? Take me through the journey of how you transition to different stages of cannabis. So the uh, the introduction of uh, the vapor, the desktop vaporizer, uh, didn't change the use of the the uh, the edibles. Right. So we still would do that, you know, as like she said, when we when we knew a day of stress was coming, we would go ahead and provide an edible in the morning that would tend to have a, you'd have a better day as a result of that. She'd have a better time. And, and then the, the uh, vapor is used as a rescue treatment 
where she's having a fit right now and we can kind of, we can slow, we can stop. Uh, and so, so currently that's, that's kind of been our go-to strategy for, I guess, six years. And you didn't think, I mean, again, and hear me out, but I mean, it's like, okay, when you think she's going to have to do something that could bring on a bad day, but how about just thinking about making it part of her daily regimen? I mean, you know, people take vitamin C, you know, to see if they can ward off a cold. So why not take uh, this oil and uh, part of her waking day, when she wakes up in the morning, you know, um, say to her, we want you to have a good day every day. Well, we don't have access to continual strains. Um, we're sort of having to, we don't have, we can't go to a dispensary and say, we would like this, this, and this. We have to, we have to take what comes to us and what's, what, what's out there. So we don't have access to the same strains. And that's why. And the, 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 the patients in legal states tend to do better because you can find a strain that works and kind of stick with it. For us, that's just not a, it's not an option. We don't, you, you can't, you, you just can't get that kind of uh, stability. Uh, so we go through these periods of time where she will, uh, she, it, 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 it starts to, if she, if we do it just too regularly, it starts to lose its effectiveness where we need it. It needs to be more like a the better strain rotation, more control over it, which we just don't have without the, without the, uh, with the illegality. And, and now, so you started being an advocate in the state of Texas, trying to get the laws changed so that you could have better access to, more efficacious access to medicine. And what's been the pushback? Is there still pushback even after people have seen the video? Is there pushback? Yes. I was so naive in 2015 when I first went to the Capitol. I thought, you know, I found something that works for my daughter and it's better for her than the pharmaceuticals and she's thriving now. And I went down there and, and met a bunch of advocates in all aspects of advocacy. And I met other autism moms who were there for the same reason. And I thought, we'll get this changed this session. And then I realized the truth is that Texas is not, they're, they're just not there. And they, and this session that's going on right now, there may be a bill that passes that might change it a little bit, but it's still going to be very limited. I mean, I've become, to be blunt with you, Montel, it would be nice if I could go ahead out into my garden and put some tomato plants up next to what a medication for Kara, you know, that would be my ideal life at this point. Yes. And and now again, you were turned into Child Protective Services over this, were you not? Yes. yes. Let's talk a little bit about that experience. Uh, well, that wasn't really fun. Uh, we I re released the video and then... Child Protective Services came. Uh, I obviously couldn't deny very much since it was all on video. Mm -hmm. And so I told them exactly what I did. And we showed them. And showed them. And then uh, they, we we ended up three weeks later, we had this giant, Kara meetings. Like anytime we meet at the school, we have, she'll have 10, 20 specialists there. You know, it's just, she's just a big deal because she has so many difficulties. And the CPS was just the same. They had six people on the phone, six people here. And, mm -hmm. and the, we spent an hour uh, talking about it, but the, the choice is not a good one, right? You do what, oh, you want me to quit this illegal thing. So you want her to just hit herself, you know, you don't want us to be able to, to uh, handle this and control it. And I expected pushback from the, uh, substance abuse uh, counselor that was on the phone, but they, they left with, uh, well, just keep doing what you're doing. And so that would seem like a good meeting, except it turns out that according to the law, I still got, I have a CPS record over it now. Abuse. Uh, child abuse. And then when she turned 18, you had to, because of that, file to continue to be her caregiver or her, her Legal guardian, right? Well, there was a question. We, we'd have to do that anyway, but there was a question of whether I could be it because we had to convince a judge that I was not a, a child abuser, which according to the state, I am. And so uh, it, we, we, we got a great judge and that, that was, not a, was not a problem, thankfully. And, and it hasn't come up since. Uh, 
So I, I guess, you know, that worked out, that worked out good. Uh, I don't particularly think I deserve a child abuse record. I've never hit a child or done any, you know, nothing like that. Right. But I mean, I guess, so now you are registered as being an abuser, but you're still authorized to be her guardian and caregiver. And they said to you, we know what you're doing. Go ahead and do what you're doing, but we're not going to tell you that you can do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's basically how it worked out. Uh, and we're going to penalize you for doing it. And what, what was the penalty? Well, I mean, it's just having the record. You know, I got something. Sure. You know, I can't, uh, I, I can't volunteer at the school. You know, I couldn't. You can't own a daycare. Well, and that's okay. But volunteering or at the school or coaching, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, that you're prevented from doing because of these, uh, these records. And they won't expunge that out of your record because you're just being a father to your child. Well, so what, how I had a, I had a, a fellow advocate is also a, a judge in, uh, in Bryan, uh, Bryan, Texas. And, and he's a CPS judge. And so he went over the law with me at that time. And he said, you're going to lose. He said this, according to the law, you gave her an illegal drug. And so then you're a child abuser because of that. And there ain't much you could, we could, we could go in and fight, but you're not going to win. Uh, so I didn't, I don't want to spend legal money if I don't have a chance, you know. Right. So now you're really basically in a limbo status, really, I guess, right? It's still, we, we still uh, do uh, illegal, it's still the same situation that Texas has a program, but it's not, it's a low THC program. That doesn't work. CBD oil doesn't really work. Doesn't work for care the same way. Right. And, and so uh, we're still in legal limbo at this point as far as her treatments. And I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not saying you should be. But have you considered being a basically a cannabis refugee and living, moving the state, leaving the state? Well, the problem with it is, is that we spent all these time getting care services set up here. So Kara has her whole life, her schools here. It, 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 would, it wouldn't be good for the family to pick us up and move us somewhere and try to reset. Kara's like a big company. You know, she's a corporation. She's got people coming in and helping all the time. Those things are, those are very difficult challenges to where you just say, well, we're just going it, to, it's easier just to keep breaking the law. Does there appear to be any movement afoot in Texas to change the law? I mean, uh, I, I've, I've heard recently that uh, there may be some changes to the Texas legislature or the legislation that's on the books um, allowing for better access. But is that happening or is it not happening? Last night, I, um, one of the um, bills passed out of the health committee into the calendar committee, and it will be on the floor for voting. And it is adding a few more diagnoses to the bill or to the program. And then it's upping the THC to 5%. Wow. So, so that's, that's still good news for Kara and us because that her, she qualifies with, she has a couple conditions which qualify already. She's qualified for a while, but there's, there's with this low THC, that's not really a medicine that's going to work for her. But with a with a five percent THC, that's that's going to be strong enough for her that we should be able to substitute out all of her oils for medical marijuana from the state of Texas for the oils. This the uh, the vaporization will still be illegal. Right, and um, you know now I'm sure that you you're working with multiple different groups from MVP to DPA and others to try to see if they can you know, smack some sense into this legislation down there, legislation down there. But uh, any hope or uh, do you see any changes on the horizon? Well, I mean, the rest of the country, it seems so crazy that, you know, uh, right beside you, you know, you've got Arizona across the border and you have Colorado North and New Mexico. New Mexico was just passed. So it seems to me that you could just go across state lines, grab something there and bring it home. Oklahoma. We can. We can do that uh, in Oklahoma. We're only about an hour from there. Uh, It's an idea. But then, you know, we're traveling with this. I don't want to get arrested. You know, I don't want to. I'm trying to avoid uh, that. And so taking a road trip, you know, to Oklahoma every couple months is just 
something I think I'm going to end up in trouble. Uh, right. And so, because huh. it's not like we'll just be doing that one time. We'll have to do that over and over and over again. You're kind of the law of averages start to uh, pan, you know, start to work against you. But you start to wonder whether or not are they really going to spend the time trying to hassle? Is that bag 5% or is that bag 7% or is that bag 9% or 10%? Um, I would think put it in a change wrapper. Who knows? Well, I mean, the, the rural sheriffs that are the, the border sheriffs are, this is a zero tolerance issue that they love to, to rack the felonies up, you know? So, so that this is their cash cow in a way to arrest people coming from legal states. Uh, so I just don't really want any part of that. Uh, right. Yeah, I can't. I just so, so I mean, so your plight now will be for the rest of your life as you take care of her being some sort of a refugee. I mean, right. Is that what you're looking at having to face yourself? It's it, it's to become fully legal. It's going to be because then it has to be, you know, smokable and vaporized. We have to get all that as well. We have the plant access. Right now, we, we're, we're just little baby steps. If we can get the oil, the oils are our main felon. You know, the oil, a little drop of our oil is a felony in Texas. Like a little crumb of uh, a crumb of a marijuana brownie is a felony in Texas. And so when we, uh, but so if a medical marijuana can program can get rid of that from our lives, and that is a, that is a step forward, you know, in turn, then we just have to, the plant, you know, the plants are, tend to be, misdemeanors so we kind of re removing the felonies from from our life will be a big plus and i don't think we're going to have to wait forever for that i don't know if it's going to be this year but uh in the next five years that will probably and no chance of them have they not passed the law there that allows you to grow yourself so can you not grow a plant yourself in your backyard and then process it yourself no. you can't do that no, I see the look of Chrissy's face. Like, are you crazy? Really hit me upside the head. All right. They, uh, if you, I advocate, we advocate and we bring it up, and they're like, that's just going to be diverted. Everybody's going to be able to allow to do that. It's going to be selling it. You know, that's the, that's the argument we get back for that. And, you know, the fact that uh, you're, you're bringing in out of state contraband, that's a fact. So, I mean, Literally, what can people do? And I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of people who watch this podcast and wonder how they can help you. What would you ask them to do for you? Contact our uh, contact uh, Texas lawmakers. Uh, you know, uh, speaking up is is really the uh, awareness is is the is the best tool we have uh, to to try to make a difference. Uh, we had the, the law hasn't changed much, but it's changed more than it would have without you know, uh, without people standing up and, you know, being open about their use, you know, normalizing it for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you know that there's a lot of use of cannabis going on in the state of Texas. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's, it's just so ridiculous that not more people who are recreationally imbibing would not try to help those who need to be medically imbibing. Right. Well, and everybody, everybody is, it's just what we face is we face a kind of a, uh, a, a brick wall in terms of where it's more, it's just politics, you know, well, the conservatives can't ever do this. If you're a true conservative, then you can't be for this. And so yeah. that's sort of, you don't, you can't are, you can't have a rational discussion about that because it's not really a rational decision that they're making. Uh, where it's just more about preserving the old timey ways of arresting people, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, we even became delegates. I became a Democrat delegate. He became a Republican delegate. We wanted to make sure that medical marijuana was on the platform of both parties. And when, you know, and then in Texas, if nothing really passes this year, we wait till 23 because Texas only meets every other year. And so if whatever we get by May or June 1st, this session, that's what we get and we wait. And as a delegate, what are some of your other delegates say to you? Well, sorry, tough, 
tough beans were. I mean, what do they what do they have the nerve? How could somebody look you in the face, see that video of Kara and say, I'm not gonna help you? I, I she she's a, as a Democratic delegate, she received a lot less of it than I did. Right. Uh, I had so, to, so I, had to, I had support. I'm going to say that the the overwhelming majority of uh, folks that I showed the video to said, well, you just gotta keep doing what you're doing. Uh what people that were uh, passionately against it would most of their reasons were drunk like a drunk driving well we can't have any more of that on the road and so what about a profession so a lot of it was workplace stuff that was people i'll never support it because i think it'll end up in the workplace and and so I, that that was a common one well, the movie is called Pediatrics, the movie, and people can watch that right now and at least see and follow your family story there. Um, what what do you see for yourselves for the next year? I mean, you just said, if it doesn't pass this year, you got two more years of advocacy to start beating the bushes again to see if you can get people to, to come to the table. But, I mean, what do you see the next two years as, even? I, I just don't feel like I, I'm sort of burnt on trying to talk to the lawmakers and talk them into the fact that this is something so helpful for my daughter. It's almost like, I feel like they don't care. They don't have anything in common with me and my family. It's like they, I, I just, I've, I've hit like a brick wall and I'm, but I'll keep moving forward. Basically I'm going to focus on Kara and, and her health and how she's doing and how, how, how much she thrives, um, you know, and what more I can do for her and how I can and recognizing how tough it would be. I mean, Mark, to to think about moving. I mean, but, but will you guys have a discussion about maybe possibly moving that two hours across the line in Oklahoma and seeing if you can, uh, you know, establish, you know, that corporation there, you know, Kara's Health Corporation there? I, I think Oklahoma would not. We couldn't move to Oklahoma. We'd have to move someplace with that we could get social services up pretty quickly because see, for instance, our, our right now, Kara, does, she's not sleeping. So it's not just a, you know, it's not just a full-time job. It's not just two full-time jobs. It's an all the time job. And so without that help, our, our family will just, just kind of collapse, right? We can't, you can only run so fast for so long until things just fall apart. And so, my my feeling is that we just stick it out and then uh, if we got to move it's going to need to be somewhere in a uh, you know in a blue state with good social services you know got it, got it. well i gotta tell you guys i wish you so well and you know i i pray for kara and hope that uh you know there's some resolution or something some movement in texas that makes this at least an option from a medical standpoint to help those that are in so much need. Um, anything we could do with you here, I think you by sharing your story, I think I want our viewers to, to know that though they may live in a state that everything is, is seems to be fine in, there are people like yourselves who still need your help. I mean, you know, unfortunately, Texas is one of those states that, you know, done like outsiders. So for people to come in from the outside to try to lobby for you, I'm not sure if that would do you any good at all. Right. Yeah. So um, anything else you want to share? No? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we I, we pray for Kara. We hope that, um, you know, people in Texas finally come to their senses and try their best to at least provide the basic care that you need, especially when it comes in the cannabis space. And, you know, you always have a home here with Let's Be Blunt. So if you want to come back and, and talk a little bit more, I know our listeners would love to hear what you're going through. And, you know, even from the standpoint of just seeing if they can do something to help you. Um, so, you know, uh, I don't know if you, you have a GoFundMe page or anything like that, please, if you do, shout it out right now. I thought about doing that. In, like when we had the, the, the video went kind of crazy viral and my friends were encouraging me to do that. And I just felt, I decided that I, I couldn't, we're not, we're not really hurting for money, you know? And so I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do in, to, to, uh, it, it, it sort of cheapened what we were doing. I felt, you know, and sure. it was just a personal decision that I made a while ago and I don't regret it. 
I was thinking about it from the standpoint of that, you know, not that you're hurting for money. I wasn't uh, suggesting that you're hurting for money, but, you know, from the GoFundMe standpoint, when people reach in their pocket, they also may reach in and figure out ways that they could make sure that you don't have to travel across that state line. But, you know, all of a sudden you wake up and, you know, Santa Claus arrives, you know what I mean? Uh, We kind of. I think, again, I want to make sure people know that they can watch Weediatrics the movie at weediatricsthemovie.com. And they should do that, and they'll get a little bit more of an in-depth look at what your family's going through. God bless you for what you do. And, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, again, Kara's life gets easier for her and for you, okay? Me too. And thank you so much for being a guest here today on Let's Be Ballin' Montel. Guys, take care of yourself, okay? Thank you. You too. All right, stay well. Bye-bye. child is seizing and they're convulsing and they're jumping off the bed. She would hit all day. This would go on 12 hours. Her lips turned blue and her eyes rolled back. She had her first seizure when she was 10 months. Never in a million years did I ever think that this would be my life. Oh my gosh. Hey, hey. I mean, how do you just sit back and just accept my child's gonna die? No, you do something about it. The destination is on your left. Arrived. I thought this place would be like garden. It's nerve wracking knowing that I have to go to Colorado to get the cannabis. I am breaking the law. Wow. <laughs> I've definitely never seen anything like this before. Unless you do it illegal. Um, a lot of people take the risk anyways. They don't want to be the cause of you getting your kid taken away no. by CPS. And right. they will take your kid. Don't tell your family members. Don't tell your nurse. Don't tell your doctor. Don't tell your family, nobody, your friends. Protective custody warrant for the daughter, okay? Grab our key, lock the door behind us. All right, me and my wife are coming out, all right? Okay, appreciate that. Hey. Hello. Hi. How are you guys? Are you going to close the door? No. No, no, no. Hey, what is going on? Relax. Relax. Hey, hey, hey. Why are you doing this? Just the one daughter who's named in the warrant is going to be taken into protective custody. I want to call the cops because people are about to take our daughter. She's going to freak out. She's in better hands with her parents who love her. But the cops are taking our daughter. You might have to go somewhere for a little bit, okay? Look at me, okay? But um, mommy and daddy can't go, okay? I love you, okay? It's all right, baby. It's okay. We're not smugglers, we're just moms getting medicine for kids who are really struggling. Until you've walked in someone's shoes, there's no room to judge. We've lived in fear of our government since we started. A single cookie is a felony. Tend to life in prison. I cannot just allow my child to just sit back and suffer. I'm trying to save my son. We could possibly lose our kids to DHS. 
She wants to pretend that, you know, that, that's not a possibility. I definitely know it's a possibility, but I'm willing to take that risk to help him. If he's going down, I'm going down with him. back of the federal government is making us choose between breaking the law to help our child or watching them suffer is absurd. Yeah, she's happy. You're fixing your hair. Uh-huh. Say hi. Look, you're waving. Thank you.